Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Good morning, guys. It is so good to be with you. Um, my name is Pete, uh, and I have the privilege of being on staff team here at Ivy, and it's so great and a real privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Now, we're going to be finishing, as Tim said, our series in 1 Timothy, and we're going to be diving into chapter 6 in just a moment. And there's lots in here, so much in this book of Timothy. Uh, But something that I want to give focus to this morning is something that Paul talks about on quite a regular basis, and that is on the subject of being content. But before we unpack that, uh, let's just spend a moment uh, praying. And maybe if it's possible, I don't know what's going on around you right now, but maybe just Give a moment of stillness. Just really focus in on this moment because God's going to speak and I'm, I'm not confident of that because what I'm going to say, I'm confident because we're about to read his words and it has power. So Father, we give you permission in this moment to speak to us. We thank you, your word has power. The Holy Spirit, come and speak to us afresh. Come and reveal more of yourself. Father, give us ears to hear what you're saying to your church this morning. And Father, may we have the faith and the boldness to obey all that you're calling us to so that we may see the fullness of all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I remember when I was about 10 years old, um, uh, roller skating, rollerblading was the rage and I was quite into it. Um, but I've been given this second-hand pair of roller skates and they were awful. They were like fluorescent green, they were plastic and they were just not fit for purpose and I was pretty embarrassed about wearing them. But I had my eyes set on this set of roller skates, they were called Bauer FX1s. If you used to rollerblade you might know what I'm talking about. And I had my sights set on these and I used to cut out pictures of magazines and stick them on my bedroom wall hoping and longing that one day I would get a pair of these skates. But the weird thing was, there was this restlessness that took hold of me, and, and inside I had this idea that life won't somehow be complete until I get a pair of these skates. And lo and behold, Christmas Day came, and I was opening some presents, and yes, I got a pair of these skates, and I was over the moon. Life was well, I needed nothing else, and I spent all day, every day on my skates, until about three weeks after Christmas, I was out skating with some friends of mine, and one of my friends had the model above. He had Bauer FX3s, and I saw them, and I wanted them. And it was weird, this feeling of life won't be well until you have a pair of these skates. I thought, you know what? I'm going to get a pair. And so I remember I, I kind of forged this great argument and reason to my parents of why I should have this next upgrade of skates. And so I went to them, I delivered it seamlessly, and my parents, being the most amazing parents, said to me, no chance, be grateful for what you've been given, and that is a valuable lesson for any child. But here's the thing, I wonder, does that sense of restlessness, that feeling of being discontent until we get what we want, does that kind of go away when we get older? I think the answer is no. Well, at least it's my experience. You know, for us in the society we live in here in the West, contentment seems to be something that is just one purchase away. Um, it's kind of one pay rise, one home improvement away. And when we get that thing, life will be okay. But when we get there, it's almost as if contentment is so elusive. You know, we, we live in one of 
um, the wealthiest societies in the world. And yet so much of our lifestyle is postured in the pursuit of more. There's almost this restless discontent that seems to only ever be satisfied momentarily. And we're going to unpack what Paul has to say about this in a moment. But it's interesting because after over the past quarter of a century, psychologists and um, economists have conducted countless studies and research uh, into the subject and the correlation between money and happiness. And do you know what? If you kind of condense it into um, uh, an overall conclusion, they, they pretty much conclude in, in demonstrating that seeking the good life through pursuing more and acquiring more and earning more, and this is a quote, is, a simp- is simply an expensive exercise in futility. That's what the experts say. Dan Gilbert, who's a professor of psychology at Harvard University, he wrote a book called Stumbling on Happiness. And in it, he wrote this. He said, once you get basic human needs met, a lot more money doesn't make a lot more happiness. And do you know what? While so many in our society will have heard that and, and will know that to be true, like, why is it that so many still live as if the opposite is true, as if happiness and well-being and contentment is found in the pursuit of just one more, one more purchase, one more home improvement, one more step up on the ladder, one more pays rise, and all will be well. I mean, the challenge for us as followers of Jesus, especially in the society that we live in today, is how do we become people whose contentment isn't determined by our ability to acquire more or earn more, but whose contentment, whose ability to thrive and flourish, regardless of circumstances, is rooted in the truth and the reality that Jesus is enough. And so we're going to unpack uh, 1 Timothy 6. So if you would join me, I'd love it. This is like a holy moment when we read uh, the Bible together. This is more than just words on a page. This is the living, breathing word of God. And so if you join me in this moment, I'd love you to kind of read this out loud. The words will appear on screen. And we're going to be starting at verse uh, 3. And Paul writes this. These are the things that you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. I just want to set the context a little bit of the passages we're reading. Um, Paul, as you may know already from this uh, series, is writing a letter to a young apprentice leader of his called Timothy, who has been sent to a really influential church in the city of Ephesus, where a group of um, leaders had infiltrated the church and were teaching incorrect truths about who Jesus was and what it means to follow him. And so Paul's instruction to Timothy is, Timothy, I want you to go, I want you to call those leaders out and recall them to live faithfully to the way of Jesus. And so in these first few verses, Paul is confronting and exposing a bunch of these leaders who have infiltrated the church and who are using teaching about Jesus as a means, and, and, and basically they were doing that terribly as well, but they were using um, teaching the way of Jesus as a means to financial and personal gain. Um, their desire was not about displaying Jesus and glorifying Jesus. It was about gaining something for themselves, and it was a get-rich-quick scheme for them. And do you know what? I don't want to go deep into this, but there are, there are still individuals, preachers, teachers, who 
perhaps are more into teaching about the Bible and about Jesus, not to give him glory or to, to encourage the church, but for personal gain, to build their following. And you know what? Paul says to Timothy, I want you to go and I want you to call this out. And I say that just to set the context of what Paul says next, which we're going to dive deeply into. Uh, so starting at verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin <coughs> excuse me, and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I want to give focus to this word contentment. Now, in the original language of the Bible, it was a word that was used in that time by many philosophers. And that culture was hugely influenced by a Greek culture, and they had a big value on philosophy. And, and, and contentment meant to be complete. It meant self-sufficiently, self-sufficiency. It meant a person would lack for nothing. But Paul takes this word contentment, and he takes it one step further. And by contentment, Paul is meaning to have all that you need through the indwelling of Christ. Contentment is to have everything that you need through the indwelling of Christ. In other words, you could say it like this. Contentment is to know and live in the reality that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And do you know what? We can hear that and we can say amen to that. Jesus is all sufficient. I agree. Yes, he's all I need. But here's the thing I want to ask you this morning. It's all very well to say, um, I know Jesus is enough. But my question is this. Do you live as if Jesus is enough? Do you live as if Jesus is enough? And you know what? I have to admit this morning, this is something I wrestle with. I know full well in my heart and in my mind that Jesus is enough, that he is sufficient, that he is all I need. But why is it? That time and time again, I have feelings of discontent rise up in me, um, a dissatisfaction with the way that things are. And I think, why is that? Because you know what? The King of Kings, the God who loved me and gave his life for me to give me a hope and a future and forgiveness and life eternal, he gives everything that I need. He gives it all freely. And yet for some reason, I can so easily be drawn away from the free gift that I actually need. Instead, I pursue something. I try to purchase something that I don't. And, and I think, no wonder I get a sense of discontentment when I miss the thing that I actually need. And it's free. Paul says this, he says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And I read that sometimes and and I laugh, but not in the way that that's funny, but because I look at my own life and almost pity it at times because I think, for me, that's not always true. Food and clothing, is that enough always? You know what? Quite often for me, it can be Jesus plus something else, then that'll be enough for me. And, and, and that might ring true for you, and it can be any number of things for us. It might be Jesus plus job security is enough for me. Jesus plus that next home improvement, that next step up on the property ladder. Jesus plus a pay rise, plus that promotion is enough for me. Uh, when I have that thing in my life, when that falls into place, when my credit score is stable, or when my bank balance gets to that certain figure, then all will be well, and I'll be content. But you know what? Paul is writing, I'm going to unpack this more in a moment, that if we live as if Jesus plus something else will make us content, he said, that's a dangerous path 
to tread. When being content is dependent on anything else other than Jesus and Jesus alone, you will always be discontent. It'll be a cycle that keeps repeating because Jesus plus nothing else is enough. Jesus is enough. But you know what? I think our culture, the society we live in, makes it so hard to break free from this. This cycle of being, I'm content when I get that, and when I get it, I'm discontent. And the cycle starts again. Our society makes it so hard to break free from this. And advertisers will play on our dissatisfaction and our discontent. Um, They are constantly drawing us in and presenting the idea that somehow our lives are incomplete and lacking until we buy their product, until we adopt this kind of lifestyle, or until we have that kind of image. And do you know what? There are plenty of advertisers that do this. But for me, the worst for it is MasterCard. And you all know the slogan, I'm sure. They say... For some things, or there are some things that money can't buy, but for everything else, there's MasterCard. In other words, if you're not happy, if you're not content, then just buy it. In the book that I mentioned earlier, this Harvard professor, Dan Gilbert, he writes in his book, Stumbling on Happiness, a really stark truth about the world we live in. I want to read it to you. And he says this, and listen up. He says, economies thrive when individuals strive. Just listen to that. Economies thrive when individuals strive. And he goes on to say this, but because individuals will only strive for their own happiness, it is essential that they mistakenly believe that producing and consuming are routes to personal well-being. That's the world we live in. They are the systems and the powers that have so much control over our thoughts and our behavior and our spending habits and that, that, that becomes the focus of our pursuit in life. And, and you know what? It's more than just an issue of willpower of saying, right, I'm not going to say yes to money, I'm going to say yes to Jesus instead. You know, I believe, and the Bible talks, that actually there's a real spiritual battle that goes on when it comes to the pursuit of wealth and possessions. You know, money in and of itself doesn't have any power Um, but there is a spirit that the Bible talks about, and we've we've talked about this at Ivy before, the spirit of mammon, which attaches itself to money. And that word mammon um, simply means the desire to pursue wealth as a primary goal or purpose. And this spirit is one who has an overarching goal, and its overarching goal is to get us to trust it more than God. And you know what? It's so hard to break free from that. Just look at the society we live in. We live in a society who is a slave to mammon of pursuing the desire for wealth and for more. And it's hard to break free from that. But this is the call for those who follow Jesus. And do you know what? It's, it's not a call that um, is to rob the enjoyment out of life. Paul says a little later on, God gives or provides everything for our enjoyment. This is a call that leads us out of the slavery to the systems and the powers that influence and have control over our behaviour and instead lead us into life, liberty and freedom in Jesus. Do you know, we can spend a lifetime pursuing more and wanting to acquire more and have better and nicer things, which is not wrong, and we'll come to that in a moment. Um, but Paul reminds us, he said, you put nothing into this world, and however much you amass when you're here, you're going to take nothing with you. And then he says, well, if you do take up that pursuit with your time here on earth, here's what he says. He says, those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
And you know, one of the main ways this is seen in our society is the year-on increase in personal debt. We are a nation that is steeped in debt. I was doing some research on this. Apparently, the average UK household now owes uh, just over £15,000 in unsecured debt. That's not including mortgages or anything like that. That is a lot. And do you know what? Debt is crippling and it's debilitating. It is all-consuming. And whilst whatever it is that has been purchased may have given us happiness in the moment, the debt will stay with you. And it can consume everything. It stays with you like a weight that you have to carry and it robs you of the joy and the life um, that you once had. And instead it can give you anxiety uh, and fill you with dread. And you know what? If debt is something that you're struggling with, um, it won't go away. And I just want to encourage you. And I know uh, our team at Ivy want to encourage you, get some help, get some support. And the, and the people that we would recommend is, is, to, is CAP, Christians Against Poverty. We have a debt centre here at Ivy. And you can get in touch with the office or contact CAP uh, through their website. And they, they want to serve people to help them break free, uh, free from the weight uh, of debt. But you know what? As well as debt in our nation, the love of money apparently is one of the top contributors towards divorce, family fallouts, depression, suicide, crime, on a larger scale, war as well. And you know what? As well as all of those things, it's perhaps the number one reason that keeps people from living all out for Jesus and seeing the fullness of his plans and purposes in their life. Because Jesus said himself, he said in Matthew's gospel, he said, you can't serve two masters. You can't chase after God and money. And again, the word he uses is mammon in that case. It says, you can't say Jesus is Lord and yet seek for your well-being, your happiness in contentment whilst pursuing something else it just doesn't work like that that will only ever lead to dissatisfaction you know one of the misquoted verses I believe in the Bible is one that Paul says here he says for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and people often quote this they often say money is the root of all evil which just isn't true money isn't a bad thing and please hear me on what I'm about to say Money is a good thing and and God uses it for his glory and our good and it can do so much good and and ultimately we need it in life. We need money. Um, And you know what? It's not wrong to have nice things and to kind of want nice things and to buy nice things or to have aspirations to do well or to be prosperous. But here's the catch. It is the love of money that becomes an issue. Because when it becomes the love of money, it becomes an issue of the heart. The heart being the place of your loyalty, your devotion, your focus, uh, your affection. And, and, and if the love of money is causing us to take our eyes off Jesus as the source of our contentment, we will always live with discontent. And it says, Paul says, it will cause us to wander from the faith and pierce ourselves with many griefs. So what does Paul say in response to that? Verse 11, Paul writes this, he says, but you, he's talking to Timothy, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, trust in Jesus and he'll take all that tempting stuff away. (laughs) as if that were true, if only that were true, right? Um, Instead, it involves you changing your direction, changing your focus, changing the thing and the focus of your pursuit. If you want to break free from that way of living where money doesn't have to have that kind of hold on you, um, 
uh, and break free from that restless discontent. He says, you've got to turn in the opposite direction and you have to flee. It's something that we have to actively do ourselves. Instead of pursuing the values of this culture that will only ever result in a momentary bit of contentment, he said, turn the opposite way and, and, and choose to pursue the things that really make for life the things in God's economy and the things he lists here, they're values of God's kingdom. He talks about righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. And he says, fight the good fight of faith. You know, there are things that are fighting for your mind's attention and your heart's affection that want to take your gaze away from Jesus and onto something else. And if that is the case, hear me, you will never be content and truly satisfied because we only find that in Jesus. But this word fight, it literally means to struggle, to wrestle, to contend and to contest. And, and if you're like me, I like things to come easy and fall into my lap and say, thank you, Jesus, I'll take that, thank you very much, and I'll get on with my life. But you know what? That's not how things work, and Paul is recognising that. And and you know what? If you don't contend for what matters to Jesus, if you don't contend for the values of his kingdom, then you will concede to the values of something else that will ultimately rob the life that Jesus wants to give you. You have to contend for the life. It's it's a gift that he freely gives, but there are other things vying for your attention and affection and you have to fight for it. You have to contend for it and pursue something else. And then Paul says, take hold of. In other words, seize, grab with both hands the eternal life. That word eternal life, it's the fullness of life, the life that is really, truly life. And so the question remains, like, how, do, how do we contend for this? How do we cultivate the kind of life where we experience contentment that is more than just momentary? And Paul says this in verse 17. He says, command those who are rich. And just to say, when he says those who are rich, you might think that you're not rich, but if you have a roof over your head, if, if you have clean running water, um, if 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 you have a mobile phone, if you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from, you are rich. When a third of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day, you know that you're rich. But he says, command those who are rich in this present world, don't be arrogant, um, um, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Paul's saying, like, don't think so highly of wealth and riches that they will be the key to you fulfilling your hopes and dreams, that feeling of contentment. That is just arrogance. He said, instead, put your hope in God. And we talk about this word hope a lot in church. And the world talks about hope a lot, things that we hope for. And it's more than just an ethereal, oh, one day this might happen. When the Bible talks about hope, it's basically talking about trust. Another word for hope is to trust. And do you know what? What you hope for and what you hope in is indicative of who and what you trust. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, to trust in wealth and riches is to trust something that is so uncertain. There was a, there was a point in the UK that we say, oh, the thing that you can really trust is the Bank of England. 
Just look at the last 15 years, the amount of recessions and the up and down. Paul's saying, don't put your trust in wealth. It is so uncertain and we have seen that as a reality and especially in light of the coronavirus and I don't make light of that. I say it in all serious, we cannot put our hope and trust in wealth. But he says, instead, put your hope in God who richly provides. And hear this, you will never be fully fully satisfied with Jesus until you place all of your trust in Jesus. You will never be fully satisfied with Jesus until you place all of your trust in Jesus. And you know, every human heart, whether they think Jesus or not, they will put their hope, they will put their trust in something. Something that gives meaning, something that gives security or significance, something in which uh, a person's hopes and dreams and values rest. And sometimes... And I say this from personal experience, that which we profess with our lips to trust is often different to the way uh, that we live our lives. What we trust by the way we live our lives is sometimes different to what we profess with our lips. And do you know what, for some people watching this this morning, um, this issue of pursuing more as a means to contentment, that might not be an issue for you. It might be something else that contends for that place in your heart, but for some people it will be. And I know for me, this can be an area of real struggle, this dissatisfaction, this not feeling content because there's worry or just a longing for something else that I think will fulfill me and it won't and it never does. And that's what God wants to say. If you want to experience the life that is truly life, to be satisfied with Jesus. You know, there are so many followers of Jesus who are unsatisfied with Jesus. And the key to experiencing satisfaction is to place all of your trust in Jesus. Put all your eggs in one basket. You know, people say you never do that financially in case something goes wrong. But with Jesus, he's a sure thing. You know, I want to ask the question, but just as we close, like how do we break free from this then? Like how do we posture our lives differently and begin to put our trust in Jesus? And Paul says this, and we're going to finish with these verses. Verse 18, he says, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The way that you demonstrate your trust in Jesus and break free from the pursuit of more is to stop pursuing more and to give more. Contentment and life in its fullness is seen in a life poured out. And you know what? It's the call that God gave his people right from the very beginning in Genesis when he called Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want to call you and I have called you and I'm going to bless you so that you may enjoy everything for yourself. That's not what he said. He says, no, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you may be a blessing to the nations. Richard Foster, in a book about simplicity, he said, the goal of work is not to gain wealth and possessions, but to serve the common good and to bring glory to God. And Paul, in this, in this passage, he, he says, this isn't just a good idea, this is actually a command. He says, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to share, to be generous. In other words, it's to submit all the resources we have to the lordship of Jesus. To say, okay, 
everything that I have, I want to give you control because this is the way that we show Jesus that we trust him, is to give everything to him. But this is so countercultural and it is a struggle. I'm just going to invite the band up uh, as we close in a moment. But you know what? This way of living, this posture of giving is how we learn to value eternal things rather than just momentary things that only ever give us fleeting moments of contentment. um, In the book of Ecclesiastes, um, the writer says, God has set eternity in every human heart. And you know what? You can never satisfy something that was made for eternity with something finite. And whatever you chase, whatever you're going to go after in this world, the only thing that will ever satisfy is Jesus because he is eternal and we are eternal and he is the only thing that can satisfy the human heart because he is enough. We we experience contentment through the indwelling of Christ in us. And maybe you're thinking, well, Pete, I'm not even sure if this is me. I don't really know if I have issues with money. Well, let me just ask you a few questions. And I've asked these of myself. And I've said yes to some of these. You know, the questions, do you regularly feel discontent because of what you don't have? Or do you regularly worry and think about money? Do you spend money because it makes you feel good? Or do you not spend money because it makes you feel good? Maybe another question, do you get envious of others for what they have? And if you said yes to any of these things, then maybe it's something that Jesus wants to address. And not in a way that points the finger of judgment, but in a way that wants to lead you to liberty and freedom and because he has something way, way better. And just some really practical ways that Paul says we can step into this. Um, And you know, the first way we can do it is, is by giving. And Tim talked about giving earlier. And just to say, look, this is not a plea or anything to guilt trip you into giving to Ivy. That's not what this is about. This is a message of how to encourage you to discover contentment that is only found when we fully put our trust in Jesus. And one of the best ways we can do that is through giving. Because money more than anything else is one of the things that has a stronghold on the human heart. And to break free from that is a sign of trust. And it's a sign that actually I can break away from the slavery that says you'll never have enough to. He's enough. And I want to give as a sign of that. And and you might be at different stages on your giving journey. Maybe you've never given. And maybe you might want to think about giving regularly. You might, if you give regularly, kind of you might want to start tithing and take that step of faith and and you know what just because you tithe doesn't mean that you fully trust Jesus with your money it is a way of doing it but that's not I've ticked that box and everything's okay with me and Jesus you can still be discontent and tithe I know that to be true myself but maybe for you it's to how do I how else do I cultivate generosity in my life I don't know if you've ever noticed if you've ever met a generous person that's miserable I can say, no, you won't. Generous people are not miserable people because something about generosity that cultivates happiness. I mean, the studies show it, but the Bible said it way before then anyway. That um, You experience more of life as it should be when we posture ourselves in a way that is generous, in a way that pours ourselves out for the sake of other people. We see this ultimately on the cross when Jesus, like... He had everything at his fingertips. He had all the wealth, the money, the possessions. He had all the power. And it says in Philippians 2 that he poured himself out. And it's because of that life poured out that we can experience life in its fullness. And it's true for us. The, the way that we experience life in its fullness is a life poured out. A life that is postured towards generosity. 
A really simple way that you can think about being generous is maybe take stock of all the things that you have in your life, all the blessings, your house, your car, um, um, uh, partly your income, all the resources that God has given you. Take a stock check of them and say, okay, God, how can I use these for your glory? Or how can I give some of what you've given me away to someone else? Maybe it's inviting people into your home when you're allowed, into your garden, around a dinner table, to be generous in hospitality, to be generous with your time, to be generous in your efforts, to be generous and lavish in the way that we love. Because you know what? God's been lavish in his love and that's how we experience life in its fullness. And there's something about when we reciprocate, when we live a life that's postured in the same direction, we experience life in its fullness. A couple more things really quickly. Maybe something for you is like, you feel good when you buy clothes. And I know some people do this for environmental reasons, but maybe you can do this as a, I'm not going to be a slave to that. Maybe don't buy clothes for a certain period of time. I know people who have gone this year and said, I'm not going to buy clothes for a year. And, and, and maybe the money you would have spent on clothes, maybe give it to something else. Maybe save it, maybe wise with it. Um, maybe the next item on your wish list, a car, a phone, a holiday, a home improvement. How about don't? Not to say that's not, that's not wrong, but if, if getting that thing is going to think, oh yeah, then life will be okay. Maybe it has a little bit of a hold on you. But instead, why not give? Instead. So the world will always tell you that you need more, but the gospel tells you that Jesus is enough. And this morning, I'm going to close with this. Maybe you don't know him and and you feel a restless discontent. And maybe it's the pursuit of money or maybe it's the pursuit of something else that you're trying to find. Maybe it's a relationship that just goes, that'll fix the hole that, that kind of has that emptiness inside of me. It, it won't fill it. Jesus will and you have an opportunity right now to encounter him and to be in relationship with him. And he will satisfy. He does satisfy. And so I just want to pray for you. If you've, you've never encountered Jesus, if you've never said yes to following him, if you want to know the life that is truly life, we find it in Jesus. So just let me pray. Father God, I thank you. You are a generous God that you have hold, held nothing back for me, for us. And if there's anyone watching or listening in that has never said yes to following you, that is just living with that restless discontent of surely there must be more. There is and we find it in you. Father, we're sorry. I'm sorry for the times that I have messed up and I've done things wrong and I've pursued something else. But today I recognize that you sent your son Jesus to this earth to die on a cross. And on that cross, he took all my mess, all the sin, all the stuff I've ever done and ever will do wrong. You took it on yourself and you took it to the grave and you rose again and you left it there. So there's no guilt, there's no shame, there is freedom. And this morning, Jesus, I want to say I believe in you. I believe in what you have done for me. I choose to follow you. I choose to trust you. And I want to receive the life that you have had for me. A life in its fullness. And just for anyone else, I want to pray. I'm going to pray this for myself. You might want to echo it as well. But God, 
I know in my heart of hearts that you are enough. But today I want to recommit my life to live it in a way that demonstrates that I trust you. I trust everything I have, all my resources to you. That you may be glorified in and through everything that you have given me. And I want to pour it out. I want to live a life of generosity. And God, teach me how to do that. Spirit, empower me how to do that. So I may bring glory to you and step into the life, liberty, and freedom that you've won for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.